Welcome to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. Are you trying to master the game of life without success? There are secrets and strategies to living your best life. We'll share some of them with you on today's show. Take advantage of this series to become an expert at relationships. All relationships. It's time to live the life that you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Sandra Reich. Hello there, and welcome back to Straight Talk. So I wonder how many times this week you thought about the word happiness. How many times this week did you think, I wish I was happier, or um, I want my kids to be happy, or why am I not happier? Think about it. We search for this all the time. And a few months ago, I had the great honor of having Dr. Christine Carter on Straight Talk. And all of you wrote to me and told me how much you enjoyed that show. She is a brilliant woman who exemplifies what she, what her research is on, which is happiness. Now, before I go into her bio, I really wanted her back because the time just ran when she was here last time. Uh, but I also wanted to talk about children because everywhere I go, people are always asking me about children when I give talks, when I go into schools everywhere and about the concept of happiness. And I often talk about happiness not necessarily being correlated with accomplishment and people sort of gasp, but rather correlated with resilience. And guess what? Dr. Carter's work shows that. So we're going to get all into that. So let me tell you about her. She's uh, an awesome fascinating woman on so many different levels. She's mother of three, if I have this right. Actually, four. Oh, four. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) She's got four children. She's she's very open in her own struggle of being overly busy and how that was not linked with happiness. She is a sociologist and a senior fellow at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, and she's the author of the book, The Sweet Spot, which everyone who listened to the last show went out and got. It's called The Sweet Spot, How to Find Your Groove at Home and Work. I cannot recommend it enough. And another book called Raising Happiness about children and how we can get our children to feel the best possible. I mean, just to rave about her a bit, I feel, you know, we haven't met, but I feel she's my personal friend in my own mind. And so I'm very proud of her. She's been quoted or featured in like every newspaper in like, you name it, she's been there. She's been on Oprah, Dr. Oz show, the Today Show. I just watched a clip from a PBS special. Oh my God, we have to talk about that. Very interesting. ABC World News with Diane Sawyer, uh, BBC Radio, and I'm sure the list is much more than that. She writes a blog which is featured and syndicated on Huffington Post, Psychology Today, Positively Positive Com, Medium Com, and several other websites. I mean, your credentials are extraordinary. Uh, I love credentials, but what really speaks to me about you is your spirit. So welcome back, Dr. Carter. I'm so happy to get to chat with you again. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me back. I'm happy to be back. Yeah, talk about happy. This makes me happy. And so it it makes me really happy to talk with you. And, you know, it's funny, I'll go right into it because I was looking at some of your work and your happiness is contagious. And I think your research shows that happiness has a contagion effect. So let's talk about that. What's that all about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a misunderstanding to think of us as being separate from one another. We're all really connected. Our nervous systems are really connected. So when you know, and our and through our emotions mostly, right? So if somebody near you is feeling really anxious, 
we are highly likely to pick up on that and start to feel a little bit anxious ourselves. Now, different people have are more contagious than others. Um, there is a lot of really interesting research. Do you want me to tell you about some of it oh around emotional God. contagion? Yes. There, I mean, my favorite studies, I think about these all the time, are um, they're done with college freshmen who are put with total strangers as roommates. And um, their first day on campus, they bring them into the lab, and the, both roommates, and they measure their emotional response to a video clip. And the, they are completely different people who don't know each other at all. And they, they respond totally differently to the video clips emotionally. And they do this. They're measuring um, micro expressions in their face and physiologically. They're actually physiologically measuring the emotions. They're not just asking them how they felt. Wow. And, um, and then six weeks later, they bring them both back in and, you know, separately they have them um, watch the video, watch new video clips. And guess what? They respond the same to the wow. video clips. So what, the people that we live with um, tend to really entrain us. We start to respond in emotionally really similar ways. Now, that's not exactly the same as emotional contagion, which would be like, I feel happy and like, or I laugh, and then you hear me laugh, and a little part of your brain thinks that it is you that is laughing. But so much of our emotions become habitual and are kind of learned behaviors. And the people around us, both in the short term, right, in the immediate term, dictate our emotions and also in the longer term. Well, you know, what you just mentioned, I, you know, I have to highlight it. I, let me stay on that for a moment because as, you know, my work, I work with a lot of um, depression and anxiety. And um, I often talk about the fact that if a spouse is depressed, mm-hmm. uh, the depression is going to seep into the whole household. So that study really speaks to that. And I often, yes. te- I often tell people that, you know, they say, well, is it my business? That is your business. How much ice cream your husband has? Maybe not, but maybe not. Maybe that's <laughs> right, not right. your business. But depression, uh, what you that study on the freshman really speaks to the fact that that's going to affect the whole household. Is that right? right. Uh, absolutely. And, and typically, it's the most powerful emotion that tends to dictate how other people feel. So it's not the most powerful person. It's the it's the strongest emotion typically is wow. what so I you know I work a lot I have four teenagers and I work a lot with families that have teenagers and as you know teenagers have very strong emotions so it's um, it's an interesting thing to be aware of and to sort of guard yourself against and then to attribute the emotion properly so I've gone back to sort of. Um, you know, when my kids were really little and I was anxious, I, I come from a long line of very anxious people on both sides of my family. And uh, adaptive people, Adapt. uh, yeah, adaptive people, yeah. yeah. And uh, and um, and so I, when I would notice that my children, when they were toddlers, were misbehaving and I was anxious, I one of my daughters, Molly, who's now in seventh grade, but she's very very sensitive, and she would always pick up on it the most. And so I can remember. Having the reading about this college student study and turning around in the car to her and saying, Oh, no, 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 you're not anxious. Mommy's really anxious right now. This is my worry. Mommy's really worried right now. 
I'm going to take care of it, but you don't have to worry. Right. And it was like the light bulb went off for her. Like she realized, oh, she was actually not worried about anything. She was just picking up on, on my thing. And as a toddler, right. She, we sort of learned to have this language and now the reverse is happening. You know, she's 13 and she'll be like freaking out about something social at school and I'll start to feel bad. And she'll say, oh, mom, this is just my middle school stuff. <laughs> you no know way. She yeah, says that? so awesome. Yeah. I mean, she's very exceptional. The other kids never really were quite that on it. But, <laughs> you know, That's she pretty- does because we've been talking about it for 10 years like this, you know. So, I mean, that does bring up a question about teenagers and I'm getting close with my kids, too. So when you say the strongest emotion takes the lead in the house. So if you're, you know, many parents come talk to me about their teenagers and they tell me I've, you know, they tell me what's coming up for me. Uh, that's not going to be easy with them. And I know a lot of people listening right now. I know who you are are listening about the mood swings of your teenagers. So what you're saying is, I guess it's very important not to catch their emotions. Like it's like the hot potato that I talk about. Don't catch the hot potato. Yeah. Yeah. Well, teenagers especially throw that hot potato all the time. They want to externalize their anxiety and, and anger and everything on their parents. So yeah, it's taking, you know, it's, uh, I, I think about it as sort of taking the wind out of their sails, right? So they can throw the hot potato and if you ignore it or leave the room or whatever, it just doesn't really go anywhere. But I also think with these really strong emotions, we don't want to resist them and we want to teach them not to resist them because that's what makes them so big. So if it's like, if they're really angry, to be like, I need you to calm down, right? <laughs> like yeah. it just doesn't work. Right. So to just say, I can see that you're really angry right now. And here's where I am. I'm about to leave. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like okay. I'm walking out the door right now. I am not going to engage. And I like, I mean, once again, when I was really little, I mean, when my kids were really little, I used the bathroom as my escape. I like when I was sort of starting to lose it emotionally. Um, you know, it was becoming too contagious. I'd be like, mommy needs to go to the bathroom right now. And I would just lock myself in the bathroom for a few minutes while I could breathe and, and yeah. get some space. And I do it now too. When it's like all starting to, um, explode around me, I'll say, you know what, just a minute. I, I've, I've needed to go to the bathroom all day and I will just leave. Wow. They let you go. Right. Like, and I, and it's totally true. I'm not lying. I've needed to go and collect myself. Right. And I just kind of go and sit and breathe and come back and, and, you know, calm is an extremely powerful emotion as well. Right. Like so long as you're really sitting in it, it's it, that it can be contagious as well. Okay, so, you know, we sort of fell upon this, but I do think a lot of people ask about this. So what you're saying is you take a timeout. So part of it, if it's hysterical, you don't engage, you take a timeout. You know, what happens when the kids start using the victim card? Like, my life is awful, it's all horrible, and they're hysterical. You come back out of the bathroom, they're still hysterical. What yeah. would you do? What would you recommend in that situation? Well, I... I I think the the first thing is to always validate what they're feeling, right? Like it's uh, I, as parents um, are. I think our natural, maybe it's just me, but my natural instinct anyway is to be like, "Your life is not horrible. Right. Look at this beautiful everything. Yeah. Look at I just made you dinner. Yeah. Everything is so fabulous, <laughs> right? Like I, I will, I will. Yeah, me out, too. Like, I will that doesn't work. All the, no, it doesn't work at all. <laughs> it doesn't work at all. Yeah, and because it I, hits it hits us because we're giving our kids so much, and they're saying their life is awful. So we're kind of getting almost defensive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, or it's like I don't want to see you in pain, yeah. and so I'm going to try and 
um, helped you see what you what you could feel grateful for instead. Right. I'm right. going to distract you from whatever. So, right. yeah, no, that's not, that's what not to do. The <laughs> thing. Um, I mean, okay, so you know where this is particularly hard is when um, girls have body image issues. Yes. I was just working with somebody on this and they're like, my, she, she's falling apart. She's in tears. She says I'm so fat and she's not fat, right? right? Like, and you're telling me to validate her feelings? Yeah. Not necessarily her judgment, Right. about things but to to validate her feelings so not right? not you are fat but i understand not you feel fat. fat you feel fat not even feel, that no. really i like i i mean yeah she feels fat but it's but it's to to like say i can see that you're in so much pain right now okay, okay. and uh, like what do you feel ashamed do you feel and she came back really strongly with i'm really trying to love my body because I know that it's supposed to be a body, po- I'm supposed to be po- body positive. And she had all this language from school around yeah. it. But, but really what I feel is hate. I just hate my body. Wow. And, and, and then they were able to have a really nice conversation um, around how hard it is to see your body changing so rapidly. Right. And she just had a big growth spurt and she really looked different and she got to she got to feel sad about not having a little kid body anymore and confused about what that means and right. fearful fearful about having a woman's body and yeah. um so this is this is the life of teenagers, right? Like if you if they come to you and they're they, they're seeming irrational, they may actually be irrational, but the feelings are very real. And so to just go straight for the feelings and not necessarily why they're feeling that way, you know, at first, because it won't be logical necessarily. Right. Right. And, you know, it's quite challenging for parents because, you know, this comes up in my practice all the time because we want to validate feelings, but we certainly don't want to uh, reinforce like um, when the emotional regulation is literally out of control, like it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to break a window right? Uh, right. or scream your head off and saying how horrible right. your life is. Like, I, you know, I can understand you're feeling that things aren't going so well, or maybe you're feeling a little scared, but you can't like scream to this extent. And that is the challenge is between validation and boundaries. And that's, right. that, there's a magic in that. There's a magic yeah. there. Yeah. And drawing a really bright line for kids of any age, right? Um, some adults need this too, between, you know, all feelings are okay. All behavior isn't. Right. Right. And it's- expression of emotion is a behavior. Right. So helping them understand all everything that you're feeling is fine. All behavior is not necessarily fine. And we need to figure we need to figure out what that is. So this is why people are often shocked to hear that I will leave the scene of a crime all the time. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like when it's all out of control. Me too. Because because it's like I can see that you're in tremendous pain. You're very frustrated. You're so annoyed by me. I can see my piece in this, but you can't hear anything right now. So when you're behaving better. I will come back and we will talk about it. 
I'm, I'm so glad you're saying that you've really expressed it very succinctly because um, I think what happens for a lot of parents is that they want their kids to be happy so badly, we all do, that they don't leave the scene of the crime and there are collateral benefits for the teenager or child if you stay. And so they've learned a little trick. You know, mm-hmm. I go hysterical, I get attention, a primary reinforcer. So I think it's wonderful that you leave the scene of the crime, as you say, because otherwise I would imagine you're the happiness expert but I would imagine we're, we're slowly inching into the fact that uh, validation is part of, you know, us feeling secure in the world, but so are boundaries. We need limits. It's not anything goes. Is that, does that fit with happiness research? Because I know it fits oh with my, my gosh. stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And particularly with kids, right? Kids don't feel safe and secure when parents don't provide boundaries. Oh, you right? need to say that again, Dr. Carter. Kids don't feel safe or secure when parents don't hold the line, when they don't provide very clear, very consistent boundaries. And it is their job to push those boundaries and it is your job to hold them so that they can be happy. Brilliance. That's such a great line. It's a perfect segue. We'll be right back with Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Change your life forever with the latest cutting-edge products for home study treatment for anxiety, featuring the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression and host of Straight Talk, Sandra Reich. Sandra is joined by top therapist Georgia Dow in this revolutionary anxiety videos therapy series. Thousands of people have benefited from this scientifically proven treatment approach. Isn't it time you chose yourself? Visit anxiety-videos.com right now. That's anxiety-videos.com and change your life forever. Join the therapist who is affectionately known as the couple whisperer, Sandra Reich, on her famous couple retreats and change your life forever. Sandra offers couple retreats in beautiful locations several times a year that can radically change your love life. Couples describe her retreats as life-changing. Regain that loving feeling. Bring your intimacy to a new level and rediscover excitement and joy. Find out more at HelpForAnxietyDepression.com or call 514-796-4357. We all want love and safety. Now you can have it. Call 514-796-4357 or HelpForAnxietyDepression.com. Spa Munari is a full-service wellness day spa located at the heart of West Island, Quebec. Submerge yourself in beauty with one of our many treatments, specially catered to your needs. We offer facials, manicures, pedicures, hair removal, massages, body treatments, and so much more. Enjoy our ultimate relaxation experience with our spa packages. We offer a men's menu as well. Call us today to book your next appointment at 514-695-5040 or visit us on the web at spamunari.com. That's 514-695-5040 or spamunari.com. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. To connect with the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at helpforanxietydepression.com. Now, back to Straight Talk. Here's Sandra Reich. Having a great time talking with Dr. Carter, even on the break. Um, we left off with um, a statement that so many parents listen to the show and so many parents are struggling with this, I can't tell you, about the concept of wanting to be the good guy with your kids and their friend. And I'm often in the office, I'm notorious for saying um, there have to be boundaries for your kids to feel secure. The anxiety specialist, anxiety shows up when there's no boundaries. And I've got, you know, the brilliant, famous. Dr. Christine Carter here with me. Well, she she's really something. And uh, the author of The Sweet Spot, a book you must read. Uh, I couldn't put it down, honestly. And I, I want to go back to it, quite frankly, um, because it's so, we'll talk about how it's so easy to get caught up in the rat race, so to speak. We'll get to that. But uh, we were talking about boundaries make kids feel secure. So, um, Dr. Carter, maybe we can review why do boundaries make people feel secure? Well, particularly for kids, if you, can, if you can sort of put yourself in the shoes of a child really of any age, one thing we know that's happening is that they're changing really, really rapidly, right? Their brain is changing. They're learning new things. Everything is new and novel um, to, to kids. And this is particularly true for younger kids, but also for adolescents in terms of their brains. It's a real time of brain remodeling. And that, that is enough instability for any organism to be able to handle, right? So what they need in order to continue to learn and grow so incredibly rapidly is, um, a, a stable platform to launch from, and, um, and they need their parents to create that for them, right? They need to know that their parents are keeping an eye on their safety so that they can take risks and go out there and, and be um, daring. That's why kids are so challenging to us, right? They're going to constantly test to make sure that we're going to hold the boundaries, that we're going to keep them um, safe in whatever realm, not just physically, but also psychologically, and that they, they need this holding space um, for us. And... It's, a, it's unfortunate, but I, I mean, I don't know what you're seeing in your practice, but what I'm seeing um, in my, coach, my parent coaching practice is that parents are really having a hard time doing this these yes, days. They yes. want their children to be happy, of course, and so they think that that means that their children always need to be happy with everything that they do, and so they, they say yes when they should say no, and they're really in, afraid to enforce the rules so that, uh, because they don't want their kids to be mad at them. You know, it's, it's, it's my practice and my way of approaching my practice is so similar to you. You know, I've told you I feel like you're a soul sister to me because we think alike. And what I see is that, and what you're saying really, is that unconsciously kids are begging for boundaries. They actually want them uh, because, as you called it, it's the holding space. It creates security. I equate it to the stop signs on the street. If there were no stop signs, uh, we wouldn't feel safe even though we're not happy when we get a, a ticket, we need the police to be there. We're grateful yeah. they're there. Yeah, absolutely. Right. right. So another thing that you say I noticed um, when I was you know, preparing for today, um, as I go around town and talk places, I talk to parents a lot. And I say that the biggest gift you can give your child is not happiness. It's actually resiliency. And I noticed today when I was uh, doing some research uh, just to stay up to date on all the exciting things you're doing, um, I noticed that you say the same thing. So uh, resiliency, you feel, is very important. Can you say a few words on that? 
Well, I, I think it's it's really it depends on how you're we're talking about resiliency, and I'm really interested in hearing more about what caught your eye in that. But I will just say really quickly that um, if we if we can't take risks, right? If we're not resilient, we can't take risks, and if we can't take risks and risk falling down sometimes, then we can never really grow. It it keeps us completely stuck in the lives that we're already leading. So this is really important for both adults and for kids. Well, I saw you on an interview, that's where it was, and you were talking about the fact that kids do better when they're happy, but yet resiliency is a necessary ingredient to being happy because it's exactly what you said, is that I have to be able to cope through difficult times to know that I can get to good times, as opposed to everything's going to be smooth sailing, which is not a correct setup of life. Right, right. Because, because, no matter who we are and what circumstances we're born into, life is very difficult. It, is, it involves challenge. A life well-lived involves lots of challenge and lots of difficulty. We're always pushing ourselves to the edge, right? That's where fulfillment and meaning comes from. So comfort is not the goal, right? So oh, and we forget that. We forget that with ourselves. We forget that with our kids, Um, We just try and protect them from all forms of discomfort, disappointment, difficulty, and basically we're protecting them from happiness when we do that. I I really, I can't believe you just said that because, um, again, you know, the soul sister thing, sorry, um, I hope that's okay, but, uh, you know, I call call that warm bathwater. You know, I say even when you go get a therapist or a coach, you don't want warm bathwater. You want stretch. You want to be out of the comfort zone, and that is true. That is how life is. So creating an environment of warm bathwater or, you know, complete comfort, as you say, uh, we're on the same page. It's really not preparing someone for life. Life is filled with challenges. So I, I really love the work that you're doing. Now, this does bring us to another point, which, again, the schools are asking me all the time, is there is a lot of schoolwork. You were talking on the break about we just got cut off on that concept of your kids in the school year. There's a lot of work these days in schools. Um, now, they need to, kids need to do their work. So I'm being asked often by parents and administrators, um, well, what are we to do? We want them to do well in life, but yet there's a lot of research showing that we're overburdening children and they're not really getting that much of a childhood. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's absolutely true. And you can look at the research in a lot of different ways and, and see that, you know, really structured lives and having a lot of enrichment activities can be can really reduce risk in certain populations of kids and it can increase risk in others. And so, um, I mean, it reduces risk of, you know, pregnancy and alcohol and drug abuse, for example, in teenagers who don't have um, options um, and would otherwise be unsupervised and have nothing else to do. But so, you know, that said, in general, I think that kids have lost a lot of their childhood, of just being able to go outside and play and learn through play, grow through um, play, and learn to cope with things like boredom, right? To make up their own games and their own rules to their own games and work out their own um, things that, you know, the kids today are used to having uh, two things. One, constant direction, which is, you know, not like go for a run necessarily or go get some exercise, but um, do this drill and then do this drill and then practice this specific thing, which is great at honing skills. It's not great, though, honing specific athletic skills. It's not great at honing the ability to, to direct your own behavior 
and regulate your own activity and emotions. Um, and then they have constant, so they have constant um, structure direction. and direction, external motivation, and then they have constant stimulation, which is also an external form of um, motivation in the sense that in terms of the way it affects the reward system in their brain. So like they don't just like we used to just like wander around the neighborhood looking for other kids, right? Figuring out who was home and or who was outside or whatever. These kids like sit and play video games and play on the, the iPad and all their devices and they're they're never bored. They're constantly, constantly stimulated. But that creates a big psychological hole in their systems when they can't tolerate any sort of, you know, suddenly calm is uncomfortable. So um, I guess it's, you know, to be clear that when your child is saying they're bored, handing them the phone, handing them the iPad, as many parents listening fall into that habit because every other parent is doing it, is not what you would recommend. No, I, I don't, you know, no. I mean, I have enforced a very sort of old-fashioned childhood on my kids in a, in a weird sort of way. So when I was growing up, we got one half an hour of television per day. Yeah, yeah. I watched The Brady Bunch, Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. so my kids get one half an hour of screen time per day over the summer. Yeah. They think I am evil. Yeah. But they are very self-entertaining. And they've just, at this point, thrown the towel in. They know I'm going to enforce it. They know. So they're like, okay. My, I mean, one of my teenagers is already off. She's in the backcountry for three full weeks. She does not have her phone. This has fully backfired on me as a mother because I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not going to be able to talk to you for three uh, weeks. <laughs> I'm like, that's horrible. Oh, I'm so sad. Yeah, oh, yeah that must be hard. No, well, yes, it's hard, but that's not a reason. It's hard for me, yeah. but it's not a reason to keep her from doing it, right? Right. But, so, but, you know, it has, I mean, she will be device-free for three weeks, which is a radical thing to have happen for a 16-year-old girl. 15. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really, really good. And, you know, I guess that your kids and parents ask me this all the time. I guess your kids got used to it because, you know, they parents say to me, but what will you say when your kids say, well, all the other kids have phones and all the other kids have the iPad? I personally say, you know, that's nice. That's not how it works here. Is that how you handle it? Yeah, I mean, I it. the, the thing is, they push back regularly, right? Like my kids have grown up with having different rules and they it still doesn't really feel good to them. They're still yeah. not happy about it. Right. And, um, and I, and I think because I expect that, um, it's not like they've like kind of laid down and don't push back and it's not like they don't break the rules. Right. Then I don't, you know what I mean? Like, and, it, and we don't, we have a lot, of, we're still constantly having a lot of heated discussions about it, but here's in the end, it's my phone. Yeah. I pay for it. Yeah. Right. I get to know the passwords. I get to look at who you're following on Instagram. Yeah. And I get that you don't like it and it feels like a violation of privacy. I'm never going to do it. Not in front of you. Right. Like we have sort of boundaries, but I'm going to, I'm going to always have your passwords. I'm going to look through your texts. I'm going to you. So you should tell your friends, your mom reads your texts. Oh, right? I love like, how open you are about that. You know, like, so you so tell them that. You tell them, listen, I have your passwords. I'm going to check your texts. I'm going to do it in front of you. Yeah. Right? Because then they can. So, so I'm like, so we have the mom rule. Your friends should know about the mom rule, too. If they want to, if, if you want to, like, push the boundaries in terms of 
like trying on talking about sexuality or trying out swearing or things that I get it. Normal teenagers do. You want to talk about these things with your friends and you don't want your mom to be involved in it because you're trying to figure out how to talk about these things. Right. Okay. Text is not private. Neither is Instagram. Snapchat, I get that it goes away, but I'm still looking at your story, right? So that leaves you with um, email. I don't read their email. That's our agreement. Like if you want to have a private conversation with one of your friends, that's fine. Do it over email. Even though it's always there, you you can't get rid of it. I'm not saying like it's okay to sell drugs or something on an email, right? Like, but you're less you're less worried about the email because it's not a public forum. Is that right? Yeah, and also because I want to provide safer forums for them to right. have private conversations. Right. So, so my kids very quickly adapted to moving to FaceTime, right? Yeah. So they still are using their phones to be constantly connected to their friends, yeah. but they do it in this forum that it doesn't have this, you know, that I, you know, that it, that, and I actually, the funny thing about FaceTime is I, they are also really not supposed to be doing it in their room with the door closed. So if they want to do that, they have to have a phone conversation. But I, I, I let the FaceTime thing go. Okay. Sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, I want them to be able to have private conversations. And, okay, so here's the feedback ultimately that I get. Um, at least one of the kids every other weekend will say, I think we need to have a te- technology-free weekend. And I'll say, great, why? Because I'm feeling a little addicted and it's just so much easier to do when we all do it together, right? Like you can't have one teenager on their phone and the other's not. Right. You know? Like we have to all do it together. So this is hardest for my husband and I, <laughs> you know, to be like, okay, so can we just do Sunday? There, a big negotiation starts happening. Right? Really? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, because it's like, okay, well, I wasn't really planning on that. So, yeah. okay, no, all right, guys. we're doing it on Sunday. We're, 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 you know. But you must be pleased that they come to you and say they want a technology-free weekend. I mean, that they're feeling a bit addicted and they even acknowledge that. It's pretty yeah. impressive. And they know that it doesn't feel good to, like, be checking compulsively. Right. You know. And sometimes they do it to protect themselves or each other. Like the other day, um, one of the older kids came and said, oh, you know, there's a, there's a big um, bat mitzvah that Molly wasn't invited to on Saturday. And I think she's just going to be watching the whole day um, to see what, what gets posted and everything. I think that would be a good day, Mom, for us to have a, tech, a technology-free weekend because at least – like she'll miss the whole Snapchat, the whole whatever. And look at that. That's compassion, which is linked with happiness. How's that? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So they can do it. You know, they, they protect themselves and they protect each other pretty strategically from this stuff. But that's only because we've had 10,000 fights about it. <laughs> yeah, well, like it, that, I'm telling you about that, like the, the good outcome, because that's the light at the end of the tunnel. But like it's not it's a lot of work but i think that this is the most important arena for us to hold the boundaries on for our kids absolutely i couldn't agree with you more um and you know before we take a break i'll just start the topic and we'll come back and continue it about busyness that busyness in kids in adults in everyone is not correlated with happiness is that right it is not it's not even correlated with productivity which we think it is i mean we think it is we talk about uh, busyness being a sign of significance or importance it's like the only we we, you know it's a humble brag right how are you doing oh i'm so busy crazy crazy busy and what we really mean is i'm very busy and important right Right. (laughs) you know that's a subtext but uh yeah but i mean when you look at research it tells us what we know intuitively you know the bus- the people who are most busy and most overwhelmed are 
are the least are not necessary. It doesn't correlate at all with productivity. And when we say that we're really busy, what we really mean is I'm kind of not very happy, right? Like I, I like I'm I'm sacrificing my own needs for rest, for play, for whatever it is I really want to be doing, for for the needs of my children, for my workplace, for whatever it is. But you know, if I left to my own devices, I wouldn't be running around like this, all you know, overwhelmed. So a little bit of the martyr trap, you know, that's one of the traps that comes up in my book, but it's a little bit like, you're right, and we were just having this thought, my partner and I, in in the Empowered Woman business, uh, that this idea of I'm so busy, I'm so busy, it's a little bit like, look at what a martyr I am, how self-sacrificing I am. You know, yeah. putting myself aside, it's, it's, it's definitely a very big trap that people fall into, and you're right, I've never met a happy martyr in my life. You know, I always say that they usually look pretty miserable. And when I keep, when I walk around so busy, I'm, you're right. It's not a happy stance. And it's, it's like, it's important to notice in ourselves, like when we, when we start feeling busy and overwhelmed and telling people about it and when we don't, but actually aren't just like laying around all day. Right. Like, so I could have a day in which, you know, I read an entire book and I go for a hike with the dog and I, and I cook a great meal and I don't, I, I don't, I'm, I'm technically busy in the sense that I'm doing something that I want to do. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm so busy and overwhelmed. I'm going to be like, I had the most luxurious day, right? Right. So so I'm I'm so happy, right? So that there's a really big difference. Really great example. We'll be right back with Straight Talk with Sandra Reich and Dr. Christine Carter. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Change your life forever with the latest cutting-edge products for home study treatment for anxiety, featuring the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression and host of Straight Talk, Sandra Reich. Sandra is joined by top therapist Georgia Dow in this revolutionary anxiety videos therapy series. Thousands of people have benefited from this scientifically proven treatment approach. Isn't it time you chose yourself? Visit anxiety-videos.com right now. That's anxiety-videos.com and change your life forever. Spa Munari is a full-service wellness day spa located at the heart of West Island, Quebec. Submerge yourself in beauty with one of our many treatments, specially catered to your needs. We offer facials, manicures, pedicures, hair removal, massages, body treatments, and so much more. Enjoy our ultimate relaxation experience with our spa packages. We offer a men's menu as well. Call us today to book your next appointment at 514-695-5040 or visit us on the web at spamunari.com. That's 514-695-5040 or spamunari.com. Join the therapist who is affectionately known as the couple whisperer, Sandra Reich, on her famous couple retreats and change your life forever. Sandra offers couple retreats in beautiful locations several times a year that can radically change your love life. Couples describe her retreats as life-changing. Regain that loving feeling. Bring your intimacy to a new level and rediscover excitement and joy. Find out more at HelpForAnxietyDepression.com or call 514-796-4357. We all want love and safety. Now you can have it. Call 514-796-4357 or HelpForAnxietyDepression.com. Your life, your health. 
your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. To connect with the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at helpforanxietydepression.com. Now, back to Straight Talk. Here's Sandra Reich. Happy Sandra Reich talking to my friend and colleague, Dr. Christine Carter, author of The Sweet Spot and Raising Happiness. Uh, Dr. Carter, what are you up to these days? I'm curious. We haven't spoken in a while. I understand you're launching something. Yes, I have just gone live with a new online class that is called The Science of Finding Flow. And it relates to what we were talking about, about busyness, because You know, oftentimes people think of the opposite of busyness as being boredom, and um, and it's not. The opposite of busyness is that wonderful state when time seems to stand still. It's flow, right? It's being able to drop into the zone and do your most important work. Um, It's not. It's it's you know. It's not necessarily a class just for people who are um, working in an office or anything like that. It's more like the concept of like one real source of happiness for us is this sense of flow of being in this place where you have both strength but also ease. Right. That's um, that's key to my concept of the sweet spot. And so I don't, I do a lot of coaching on this with a lot of people and I give a lot of talks, but I thought, okay, wouldn't it be great if I could teach people this from all over the world in a class? So and how so, do people, how people take this class? I mean, I might be your first student, quite frankly. How do people take this class? Well, I am, you know, I do, I understand these concepts. Like I've read your book and, and I teach it myself and I still find you on the break. We were talking about, like I say, I'm a recovering caretaker. You're talking about being a recovering type A personality. It's so easy to slip back into. Like yeah. I'm wondering about how you, well, first of all, I want to know how people take the class, but then I want to know also from you, how do you immunize yourself from not falling back into type A tendencies? But yeah, well, it, yeah, I mean, it, uh, okay, so you take the class by going to christinecarter.com. It's like right up at the top. It says the science of finding flow. Um, or you could go right to courses.christinecarter.com. And it's an yeah. online course. It's an online course. It's completely self-paced. Um, there are, there is a lot of interaction with me. Like if you post a question, I will answer it. And there are, um, live, uh, coaching calls, group coaching calls that go with it. Um, and it, I mean, there are, there are a hundred or so people in it right now. And it, it is, um, it's just been so fun. I worked really hard on it. And I honestly, I feel like it's my best work, right? I, because it is so practice oriented, right? It's one thing to read a book and I do, I love writing the sweet spot and I, and you get a copy of the sweet spot when you sign up for the books. Oh, nice. I mean, sign up for the course. Nice. Um, People, you but, need to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, but it's not the same. At, you know, it, I feel like books provide inspiration and ideas for practices, but that we can, we can really change our habits in our lives much more easily when we do it in a group with people um, with specific practice. Okay. practices, right, where we are held accountable and are able to um, to just um, do it because all of these things are skills like anything else. And somebody like you, and I imagine all of your clients and most of your listeners are going to be really interested in, in personal growth, yes. right, and in the kinds of things that they can do to continue 
to become happier and happier. And for me, it was, you know, the, the sort of recovering type A personality piece of it was like perfectionism yep. and overachieving. Yep. You know, I was always about working so I, so I, I could outwork anyone, right? Mm. Like I worked harder than everyone. And this is <laughs> the class about knowing what it means to work smarter, which involves a fair oh, amount of goodness. rest, right? Yeah. And being able to do your best work, but then, but not sacrifice your happiness or your well-being. Yeah. So is it a strategy-based program? Like there's strategies to not fall back into those kinds of habits? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yes, it is. Okay. It's very tactical. There, um, there are nine different units and each unit takes you through a different series of strategies just one at a time. And the goal is to really change both your mindset, the way that you, what you see is true, right? I am a, I, my PhD is in sociology. It's not psychology. And so right. the whole class is about sort of like culturally, this is why we tend to believe what we do. And this is how it affects our behavior. Right. So I'm going to work on you a little bit in terms of like, you know, I want you to be able to see that busyness is not a sign of productivity. It is not a sign of importance or significance, Right. Here's what is. Here, here are some things that are signs of you know success or fulfilling your potential or just productivity, right? right? And then here's how to sort of dial it back. These are the you know we were talking over the break a little bit about why people keep ourselves, why we keep ourselves so busy, and there's a whole unit in this class about numbing behaviors that we yeah. have, right? We we're so stimulated, just like the kids we were talking about. We're so stimulated all the time. That, um, that we feel very, very uncomfortable. We either feel anxious or guilty or bored when we're not doing yep. something. And so it's, you know, like, how do we deal with those feelings, right? If, we, if we're going to stop being so busy, we have to replace that with something that is ultimately um, more fulfilling, more meaningful, brings more joy into our lives and is more effective, I think it's so important. And, you know, I told you this last time you were on is that strategy based, your, your PhD is in sociology, but I said this very cognitive behavioral, which is, you know, in psychology, a very strategy based, uh, empirically tested therapy that works. And I really recommend for my clients listening that you go on uh, christinecarter.com. Is that right? The website? Yeah. Yep. Check out this program, because I think it's important. And I think that it runs very deep, because I'm the daughter of immigrants, and many like I live in Montreal, so there's many. This is a, a city that's filled with uh, children of immigrants, and the work ethic of my parents was that if you're not working, you do need to feel guilty. So it's a really easy slippery slope for many people to fall back into. Is that that is the emotion that comes up? I should get more done in the day. It's filled with those kinds of should statements. So I share with my clients that because many people use lots of different ways to numb themselves, and being overly busy is just as much of an addiction as any other kind of addiction. There's yeah. no question. It is numbing. I couldn't agree with you more, but it's difficult when you've been raised that way to fight. And I think your course would be so helpful to fight those feelings of guilt or, as you said, boredom that come up um, to not feel like you should be doing more. I mean, it's a really interesting addiction. Sociological, sociologically speaking, it's, it's fascinating, right? Because it's one of the only things that doesn't carry with it a negative stigma. Yeah. Right? In fact, right. it's positive. That's right. Be addicted to doing stuff all the time. Like don't, you know, it's, it's fine if you can't wait in the grocery store line without checking your phone. It might be making you incredibly miserable and tense and anxious, 
but you know, you're very busy and important. It's going to, you're going to get that sort of feelings of, that you matter yes. um, from that. Yeah. So if you're an alcoholic, um, that's socially not acceptable. You're numbing yourself to not feel pain. But if you're constantly busy, you're doing the exact same thing. And right. I, I say this even as a busy person, not very proudly, but I am aware when I fall back into it. And it's something that I always have to come back to the balance, which is why I think strategies are so important. And I, I love that your program has those strategies because I think that's the only way to not slip back into this. Um, I have another question. I was, you know, watching uh, the PBS special that you were on, on compassion. And first of all, let's start with if compassion is correlated with happiness. And I believe it is. Yes, it is. It is. It is. Um, it's considered a positive emotion. So I have to reveal to you that I don't know which PBS special, and I can never remember. Like I don't You're ever get to famous. see these things. You're too no, famous. No, so I don't. You have to give me some good prompts. But here's what I here's what I'll say about compassion off the bat. It's a positive emotion, right? So it's. Uh, but we don't think of it necessarily that way. I mean, it's become compassion's become a more popular emotion or, or a thing to try and teach our kids or whatever, but, but typically, so here's what compassion is. It's acknowledging somebody else's suffering and, and eliciting the feeling like the desire to help. Right. And so because it's acknowledging somebody else's suffering, we tend to shield our children from it. Right. We, we don't really want you to feel the suffering of the homeless person or notice that or whatever, like it involves pain and we shield ourselves from pain. We shield our children from pain. But in so doing, once again, we're shielding ourselves from happiness when we do that because in the body, it's one of the most powerful positive emotions that we have. It's like love, right? It is, it, it, in fact, you know, it, I mean, it's so much like love, it's, it's pretty much the same thing to the body, right? So how ironic is that, that acknowledging pain, that like something that involves pain is one of the healthiest things that we can do for physiologically, for our mental and physical health. Well, okay. But first of all, I was referring to the PBS special, Can Money Buy Happiness? So oh, I'm, going to, I'm going to the next level of this, which the study was very interesting because it actually showed that um, economic status and compassion, um, it, people who are doing better, their kids and themselves have less compassion. So I was going to ask you, which you've started to answer, which is, I think, you know, I want to know the answer. And I think everybody's going to want to know the answer is how do we teach our kids compassion? And according to this special, if we're in, you know, upper middle class, uh, you know, middle class, upper middle class, or, you know, whatever, um, it's, we're less lightly mm-hmm. to feel compassion, because according to the TV show that I was watching, which was really interesting, by the way, again, it's called Can Money Buy Happiness with Dr. Carter in it. Um, we sort of don't notice when people are suffering around us when we have economic freedom. Right, right. And that worried me because, you know, obviously my kids are living a pretty nice life and I do worry about their ability to feel compassion. So what are your tips on that? Yeah, it is so interesting. And what I will say is um, Dacker Keltner has done a lot of the research on this and he has a book that just launched called The Power Paradox, which kind of goes into all that research if, right. if your listeners are... Um, interested in it. It's, it is, it's just fascinating. So um, I, the first step in, in teaching kids to be um, compassionate is to really put them in touch with other people's suffering, right? This is the big thing that we don't necessarily do, right? So, you know, we do stuff as a family with the, the St. Vincent de Paul's, which is the um, homeless 
center near us. I mean, it, they provide meals to the homeless, lots of homeless, every, you know, every single day, three meals a day, seven days a week. You know, our family will, we will go down there and we'll, we make, we do things like make cupcakes for the, the homeless children who are having birthdays. Right. And my kids will go and deliver the cupcakes. You know, it, it, it uh, you know, originally they were like, no, we can't really let your kids in here. And I'm like, well, then we're not doing it. Right. <laughs> like, I want, like, it, you cannot imagine how much compassion a child naturally feels when given the opportunity to like to hand a cupcake to a homeless child. It will shake them for days, right? We do it all the time, but it'll still they will still be talking about it seventy two hours later because they can feel their own privilege and their own incredible desire to help, which is compassion. So. Actually, you recommend then that our kids are exposed to people less fortunate and helping people less fortunate in order to foster those feelings of compassion, which again, to make this a nice package, is linked with happiness. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're uh, amazing, first of all, and I love talking to you. The time flies. Um, You have also a program called 90 Days uh, to a New Habit. Do you still have that program on your site? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. That's Uh, That's a free program, I believe. It is a free program. We're in the process today of moving it into the um, courses page. So if you go to courses.christinecarter.com, that's a free thing. If you have a new habit that you want to get into, and it has, it comes with this, uh, the support of thousands of people on this Facebook page that are all trying to get into new habits. And a lot of them are, there's a lot of like coaching each other that goes on. So that's a really... Uh, a really nice one to sign up for. If you know that you want to get into the habit of exercising or meditating or doing something new, um, it, it's just an email-based program, but um, but there's a lot of people who will support you in that. Awesome. So people uh, can find these programs on christinecarter.com. How, yes. else, how else can people get in touch with you, Dr. Carter? Um, I am on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, I have to say I'm not, very, I'm not very good about checking social media. So the best way if you want to interact with me is to leave a comment on my website. I do see all of those and reply to all of them. Okay, you're fine. We have one minute left. Your final tips. If someone tomorrow wants to increase happiness in their life, what should they do? Stop pretending. Be true to yourself, right? Anytime we are, I'm also a recovering people pleaser. And anytime we try and do something to impress somebody else, you know, social media media made me think of this. It's basically a lie. And a lie is a very stressful state for the human body. That's why lie detectors work. So just be true to yourself. Love it. Uh, Dr. Carter, I can't thank you enough. Um, Hopefully we'll have you back and we'll definitely be checking out your program. I might be the first in line. Uh, (laughs) To everybody listening, um, let's all make sure we make time to be true to ourselves, to take that time to think of others and so on and so forth. And of course, keep your eyes on the stars. This is Straight Talk with Sandra Reich. Have a great week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Straight Talk with Sandra Reish. We hope you've enjoyed today's show and will tune in again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now, go live your best life.